Shut up and sit down. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Two weeks have gone, and we're here for you. With a megalith of an episode, welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a community of superhero movie fans, teachers, students, nerds, all sorts of people who just need a hobby, people looking to discover more about superheroes, and you know what, other things, because everything's awesome. And, oh crap, that's trademark from the Lego movie. Everything's Uh, cool when you're part of a team. Thank you! Wait, is that Arthur? Uh, no, that is Lego Movie. Oh, damn. Arthur ah. goes every day when you're walking down the street. Uh, everybody that you meet, something, 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 something. And I okay. say, hey, hey, what a wonderful time of day. Where you can learn to work and play and get along with each other. Yes, that's the whole purpose of this movie, isn't it? Uh, you gotta I'm your listen comp- to your culture- heart. <laughs> I'm your host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro. James Skyler Houtsma. The scientific scholar. Arthur the Artwork. And our special guest today... Grant Austin. Yes. Sorry, you don't get a alliterative nickname title, because I'm fried, uh, as we're going into this episode. Uh, well, <laughs> or, okay. I'm not as cool as you all are anyway, so I don't really deserve oh. one. Oh, go fuck yourself. Uh, that's, how I, that's how I combat self-pity, is uh, hatred. <laughs> oh, blue text. Ah, anyway, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, Martha, or science, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. time they shine your light in the sky, don't go to it. The bat is dead. Bury it. Consider this mercy. Tell me. Do you bleed? Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice? And yes, there will be spoilers. Yeah, I sure hope you've seen this damn movie and didn't avoid it because some critics told you to. And just made an opinion on your own. But so at the same time, they, t- they told you. <laughs> All right, let's even things out. Okay, first opinions. Uh, how do we want to go? We want to go positive, negative, down the middle... Uh, cause I'm looking at, I'm looking at one harsh negative. I'm looking at one, or I mean, two pretty positive and one down the middle. So let's go. Let's mix it up. Uh, I don't, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Fine. You get to start then. <laughs> you spoke oh, up. Okay. Well, that's how that works. <laughs> uh, Batman versus Superman is another entry in my long 
messy, huge movies that I inexplicably really like collection. Um, it truly is a sum of its parts film. Uh, not all of it fits together greatly, or and some of it probably could have just been left on the cutting room floor. But there's also some aspects of it that are really great and stick out in my mind and keep me wanting to revisit it, even though, as a whole, it definitely has some areas that could have been patched up. Popcorn. Ben. Popcorn Ben. This movie's hot garbage. Ah, um, there it I, is! I was a little bit... I was, like, mostly on board... And except feeling like, wow, this is really poorly edited and there's no pacing and the characters make no sense. And it's more like Buttman versus the world's biggest hypocrite. <laughs> um, but I was like, I was like, okay, like there's, there's, there's kind of an interesting commentary on the, the, the dangers of unlimited power and all that. And I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. And I like Jesse Eisenberg's performance as the Joker. Um, yeah, that's who he was. And then this movie officially went from being interesting but mostly bad to hot-ass trash when Batman didn't kill Superman for no reason, and then they had a big, dumb action sequence for no reason. This movie's garbage. Don't see it. Who Who's going to follow Popcorn, that? Popcorn Grant. <laughs> You're up, Grant. Have fun. Well, uh, I guess I lean way more towards Skyler's opinion than Ben's. I thought this movie was very good. I enjoyed it. There were definitely parts, like Skyler said, where it could have been left out or else it needed more to explain it better. So it just depends on, I guess, your attention span on whether you can handle any longer of a movie. I don't know. I really liked a lot of the performances. I thought... uh, Ben Affleck did a really good uh, older Batman. I thought uh, Jeremy Irons was a really wonderful Alfred. So uh, overall, I really liked it. I think everybody should go see it. I also really like um, Zack Snyder as a director because I also really like Watchmen. um, And uh, Man of Steel was okay too. So I, I don't know. I think it got a lot of bad press for no reason. Okay. It got a lot bad. It got a lot of bad press for some very good reasons, and also Zack Snyder has not made a good film in his life. Okay. All right. Ooh, wow. All right. Let's try and middle the road here. Let's let's middle the road. Wow. Shots fired on my opinion, Ben. <laughs> Thought we were supposed to be friends. Right. Don't be a judgy, judgmental motherfucker, motherfucker. Oh, good. Well, then you just throw it right back at him with an ad hominem. Okay. All right. Take everybody. Take a breath. Batman vs. Superman. Concept. Just those words scream $500 million. Just just saying those out loud um, is, it's just, that's trademarked. Um, this movie, on the other hand, we're looking at technically probably not the best made. You, were, you never sat in the scene for more than like 20 seconds for like the first two acts. All right, you did nothing really started to really come together until the eight characters, the 10, 15 characters, they were all developing at the same time, actually showed up in the same scenes together. Then you were like, okay, I can invest a little. All right, there's a lot of things to talk about. 
the good and the bad. The good, a lot of strong acting performances. Holy cow. Holly Hunter as June Finch, top-notch in my opinion. Uh, Batman, Ben Affleck, great job. Uh, but mostly Gal Gadot out of nowhere. Everybody was a little worried, but like, man, she killed it. She was like the arguably the best part of that movie. A lot of negative. Like, the overall plot, which is a huge weakness, because you didn't really know what Luther was trying to do, because he was just sort of manic crazy. Uh, and again, the pacing was all over the place. And the extension of scene upon scene towards the end, I was just like, all right, now Superman's dead, we're going to walk into that. And nobody felt anything, all right? That's the big deal with that whole final scene. I don't think anybody was shedding a tear over the death of Superman because it was so – there was no foreplay to anything. I think that's what this movie was missing is is you didn't get invested into anything outside of really Martha Kent getting captured and making sure that she's okay. Because I, I was worried about that one. I didn't know she was going to make it or not. Because uh, I didn't know how fucking dark they did they were gonna get. <laughs> Guess what? It got pretty fucking dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were maybe be five jokes in this whole film. Like I can count them on one hand. But they, they were, were some pretty good all... jokes. I mean, none of them were funny. Oh, uh, everything Alfred said. Okay, okay Alfred was fine. Yeah. I'm thinking of one in particular that was just infuriating. And that's when that's when Superman is like, "Is she with you?" And Batman's like, "I think she's with you." And I'm like, "Batman, you dumb slut! <laughs> she's with you. You fucking emailed her and said, hey, you're with me.'" Oh shit! You're right. <laughs> oh, I never oh, realized how little sense that made. Oh, you're right. That, that one blows. I'll give you that, man. Wow. I the totally moment. was just like, everybody just zoned that out because it was in the trailer, right? Like, oh, get the trailer scene out of here. But, wow, that's so right. <laughs> the joke everyone at my screenings laughed at was during the actual fight and the kryptonite starts wearing off and he punched him in the face and it's just generally, you know, goes from good punch to just ting. Oh, I enjoyed the CrossFit scene. CrossFit Batfleck. Uh, it's got me pumped. Wanted to go hit a tire for an hour. <laughs> it looks so fun. It did. It did. Honestly, oh. I mean, I mean, how would you practice using a baseball bat or like using a an impromptu bludgeoned weapon, right? All right. So let's move on to money. All right, because that's what's really important about the future of Warner Brothers comic book films. Production budget: two hundred and fifty million. Right, two hundred. Like we all knew it was going to be a lot of money going into this film, and yeah. then you can pretty much almost double that for marketing. Yeah, <laughs> um, Warner Brothers is rumored to have sank almost the uh, the equivalent of the budget in additional marketing, which puts it you know somewhere around four hundred and fifty million if you take stock in that. Okay, so that's the cost, you know, uh, arguably about. So you're looking at about eight hundred to nine hundred million dollars to come away as a partial success, because uh, you've got a lot of bills to pay, um, and then future bills. But you want a billion, right? You gotta lock in a billion because it's 
pretty much. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. What did it make, Skylar? <laughs> no, you do kind of have to make a billion with this film. That was definitely the studio's benchmark, and I don't know if it's going to do that. Um, as of this recording, Batman vs. Superman has made $311.9 million in the United States. $518 million across the seas, which brings a total to $829.9 million. Now, that's, that's a number that, if you're a movie anywhere, that... That number's looking good. Let's just, you know, take preconceptions out of there. That's like automatic top 10, isn't it? I'll try about top 50, but... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but with the the kind of expectations going around a movie called Batman versus Superman, they're looking at wanting a little bit more. But let's look at some of the records. It's uh, some of the notable things it's done so far and some of the not good, notable things it's done so far. Okay, it had the biggest opening for a superhero movie globally at $424 million. That's huge. And then you get to the uh, second weekend. A lot of people were saying, you know, this movie's going to have no legs. It's going to just drop off the face of the earth. And guess what? It did. Uh, it faced a drop of about 70%. That brings it down from an opening weekend of about Hundred and sixty six million to about fifty two. You know, I don't uh I that stat sometimes because it's I think of it uh maybe maybe this isn't correct economically, but if everyone went to go see this movie the first week, are you expecting everyone to just go see it again? Or like the same amount of people to go see it the second week? Because I mean Everybody who wanted to see the movie went to see the movie. I don't get why such a big drop is so pivotal. Um, and just, I suppose it is a big difference, sure, but I don't, I don't know if I'm fully getting my point across. No, I get what you're saying. No, it's, it's opening weekend was impressive. Like that, it came in above what people were expecting it to do by like 15 to 20 million. However, you have movies from about three months ago called Star Wars that also had a huge opening weekend, and then people went and saw it again the week after, and again the week after that. It, It was also released at a time when it didn't have a lot of competition, but with this one, people weren't going and making that second trek out to see it, myself included, or excluded. All right. All right. So it's not a really rewatchable film, and I think that's a theme among Zack Snyder movies. <laughs> it, it's Most true. Of them are not watchable to begin with. Oh, there it is. all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, I but, normally don't go more than like a few months without rewatching Watchmen. So. Right. Well, consider this too. It's two and a half hours. It's dark as hell. Kids probably didn't get the um, experience they were expecting from, you know, the commercials and the serials and all that junk there, that came out. There was, like, a five-year-old right behind me in the theater, and I, was, I wanted to turn around and be like, hey, parent, no. I hope you know that this movie is brutally violent. <laughs> Still uh, not as objectionable as the seven-year-old in Deadpool for me. But 
It's not an R-rated film, somehow, because MPAA, we could talk about that for days. Right. So, let's move on to the next section, comic books. You know how this works. You should be a fan of the show by now. Or if you're not, here's how this works. I usually talk about some characters that are introduced in the film or some plot lines introduced. Normally, I would uh, go into depth about how this movie borrows kind of heavily from the Dark Knight Returns storyline, but I talked about that in fervent detail in the Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and 2 podcast. (laughs) Uh, The postmodernism is catching up to me. It also borrows from the Death of Superman storyline from 1992 by uh, uh, Dan Juergens, mostly, creative team. Gene Louis Simonson is also in that. Jerry Ordway was among that. Jerry Conway? Maybe. But that's really nothing to talk about because it gets shoehorned in at the end pretty much. And I'd rather talk about it when you get to Superman Doomed, the animated movie, which is literally just a retelling of that story, minus the parts that happen after Superman dies. (laughs) So let's talk about some characters. KG Beast, all right? We're starting pretty low on the totem pole, and you probably didn't even know that this character was in the movie. Anatoly Knazev, all right? You know him as the Russian terrorist that was working for Luther during the film, uh, involved in that Africa deal. He was the janitor, and he abducted Lois and kept Martha captive. But he is known in the comic books as KG Beast. What a wonderful name. Premiered in Batman number 417, 1988, Jim Starlin and Jim Apropos. KG Beast, also known as The Beast, is a top-notch assassin for the KGB. Go figure. He finds his way into Gotham City with a long string of contract assassinations ending with the president, Ronald Reagan, during his visit to the city. Batman is unsuccessful in thwarting almost all of Anatoly's assassinations. One instance, he ruthlessly poisons more than 100 people at a banquet to ensure that his target would die. In a memorable confrontation, Batman ensnares the beast with his bat rope, but then Anatoly just cuts his hand off to get free, because apparently he couldn't cut the rope. Shortly afterward, replacing that hand with a cybernetic gun, because comic books get badass real quick. Eventually, Batman buries him alive in the sewers so that he can't be extradited back to Russia, where he would more than likely not face any charges due to his high status as a political assassin. Note that burying someone alive does not constitute murdering them. That's very important. It wasn't until like a much later storyline that he says, yeah, I called the cops on him later so that they'd pick him up. But that defeated the whole purpose of him not getting sent back to Russia. (laughs) Sure, Batman. We all know. We all know Batman just murders people all the time. Yeah. (laughs) He fucking cask of Amontillado'd him. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Uh, All right. And the only other character I have is Wonder Woman. Because believe it or not, I'm sure you know. Everybody is well aware that Wonder Woman has never had a live-action feature film appearance. 
Batman and Superman, the two oldest, richest, most popular white dudes in comic book history, have been duking it out for decades. And Wonder Woman just hasn't joined the party. She had a brief three-season television show in the 70s, and since then, nothing. But now she's back. Gal Gadot, good job. But comic book-wise, let's talk a little bit about Wonder Woman, because I bet you don't really know a whole lot about her, because her origin stories are confusing as fuck. She premiered in All-Star Comics number 8, 1941, by William Moulton Marston, Doctor, and Harry G. Peter. Notice, I feel sorry for that man's name. I'm so glad his official title, he put a middle initial in there, because otherwise he is known as, that's right, Harry Peter. (laughs) (laughs) High class stuff. Diana Prince has gone through a wild ride over the years. She was created by psychologist William Marston, famous already for having invented the polygraph. Fun fact you probably read on the internet. He was a potential critic of the burgeoning comic book industry. Comic books are pretty fresh at this time. And in order to subdue his remarks, publisher Max Gaines was like, ah, this guy could potentially say some bad shit about us and ruin sales because that's what life was like back then. So he says, hey, I know you've got some issues with the comic book industry. I'm giving you a chance to fix them. Would you like to make and write a comic book character? And he's like, well, that does seem like the best solution, doesn't it? Yes, I do. So now he goes into deep brainstorming mode. He, the two most popular characters at this time are, of course, Batman and Superman and, like, Archie. Uh, <laughs> and they're just all these white guys duking it out or stuck in love triangles. So he wants to create a character who doesn't fight with violence as much as fights first with love and compassion. And bondage. And uh, later point, later point. Uh, <laughs> And pushed by his wife, Elizabeth, to also make the character female, hence creating Wonder Woman. Marston is quoted as saying, she was made to be psychology psychology propaganda for the new type of woman who should, I believe, rule the world. When you get deeper and deeper into William Marston's lifestyles, you go, hmm, ah, hmm, uh... Because a lot of early books had very heavy bondage themes. I've mentioned this before. Wonder Woman's weakness was getting her hands bound and tied by a man. The bracelets around her arms, if they ever become loose, she goes into a psychotic rage of fury. A lot of kidnapping involved her getting tied up and, you know, just a lot of nothing nothing really blatant eh, it was pretty blatant now that i think about it uh but all of this bleeds in from mr Mar- or dr marston's polyamorous lifestyle which he believed to be the most healthy lifestyle um having that's multiple wives or th- no that's multiple relationships i'm sorry bigamy is multiple wives but hey it's america you could do whatever you want. It was just very uncommon for a guy in the 40s 
to have multiple relationships. But actual or comic book origin story, originally Diana had very little to do with Greek mythology. She was shaped from clay, this is great, and given life on Paradise Island, ruled entirely by women and separated from man's world. She escorts pilot Steve Trevor off the island after he crash-landed there and then has many adventures, mostly fighting Nazis because it was World War II. Moving on to the... Fighting Nazis. A lot of people... Yeah, everybody fought fought Nazis. I don't don't even know if Batman fought that many Nazis, but I bet he did. Uh, Moving on to the Silver Age, her origin is transformed into an actual ambassador between the retitled... Paradise Island, now Themyscira, and Patriarch's World. Man's World was a bit too offensive. (laughs) Her villains become more fantastical, like Ares, Cheetah, Giganta joining the cast, Dr. Psycho. Uh, And the New 52 version, which is used mostly for, uh, which the movie borrows the most from, is she's no longer born from clay. All right, we're throwing that out the window. A bit too ridiculous uh, because there was no men on Paradise Island, so you had to kind of make that stuff up. Uh, uh, how was she born if there's no men? Everybody's just shaped from dirt, I guess. Weird way to think about it. <laughs> but in New 52, that Clay story was just a cover-up to protect her from Hera's wrath because she's actually a bastard child between the Amazonian leader, Hippolyta, and... Zeus, because Zeus can never keep it in his pants. Ever. So that makes sense. Yes. That makes sense. More than the clay. <laughs> yes. But a god fucking an Amazon makes more sense than a child being formed from clay. That's all I got for comic books. We're going we're gonna to put a pin in Wonder Woman, because I know there's more coming. There's a whole movie about her I just can't wait to dig my teeth into. The movie, not her, right? Both. Okay. Whoa. Are you telling me Gal Gadot is not a smoking beautiful woman? I'm telling you that for saying things like that, you're never going to be the next feminist icon of the century. No, I didn't plan to be. So you know what? I think I'm good. I took it in more of a cannibal kind of way. Someone say something again. (laughs) No. Okay. If we're just going to let that stoppage happen, like a clot in George Wendt's arteries, then let's move on to the music section. Music section! Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice score is done by the returning Hans Zimmer, who did uh, Man of Steel first time around. And he's joined this time by Junkie XL, who we have discussed previously on this podcast, as writing music for Deadpool, Mad Max Fury Road, and apparently he did some additional music on Man of Steel and uh, The Dark Knight Rises. So, not like he's unfamiliar with this stuff. Uh, Hans Zimmer originally had some apprehensions about taking this project on because it's just been three, four years since the last Batman movie, and he didn't know if he was primed to reinvent the sound of Batman, which was why he brought on Junkie XL. So Junkie XL could handle the Batman side, Hans Zimmer could continue the Superman side, but it was only recently revealed in interviews by the time the movie came out that 
uh, Zimmer couldn't really stay away from doing more Batman music. So let's take a listen to the uh, first track off the BBS album, Beautiful Lie. the opening of the movie and oh. where it was the uh, flashback to the night Bruce Wayne's parents are murdered. Yeah, let's let's count up the amount of times that's been displayed in media. True, but it was done really well here, so... <laughs> I, I will admit, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's one thing to just be like, another one, but at the same time going, oh, he added, like, one new thing, so it's more than Gotham did. So, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Gotham is worse than Batman versus Superman, I will say that. Thank Whoa. you. Oh, Whoa. no! This, your what? opinions are so wrong. Nice. So, this is not. They can't be wrong. Their opinions. This is not. This no, is not up for discussion. That's how bad they are. They're, they're I want. Actually. I want the next song. Okay. What's <laughs> funny? We're actually agreeing on that. Anyway, um, next song on the list is the theme that um, Zimmer came up with for Lex Luthor, which immediately upon listening, you just go pirates, more pirates, pirate sound, maybe Sherlock Holmes. Um, he has this really distinctive kind of Viennese waltz sound he attributes to all these wacky-ass characters, and Lex Luthor is just another one in the collection now. Let's take a listen to The Red Capes Are Coming. think Hans Zimmer created a song that was what Lex Luthor was we were hoping him to be <laughs> a bit more grandiose a bit more put together a bit more classical you know what I mean right I mean the the sound is attributed to what you would expect for Lex Luthor composed classic as you say more old-fashioned. What I really like about that track is, in a lot of ways, it's the inverse Superman theme for um, what was established in Man of Steel. You know, as Superman comes on the scene, you hear boom, 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 boom. And a big part of the uh, Lex Luthor theme is you hear ba-dum, bam, ba-dum. 
So you start off with a theme that goes low, high, and then a lot of times in the Lex Luthor theme, it goes high, low, high, low. Mm. So it's meant, musically, it's uh, it's an inverse of what the hero is supposed to sound like. So that's an extra kind of aspect that I appreciate about the uh, music. Getting Spin back. that back to your nerd friends. That's <laughs> right. actually really. That's actually a really nice detail mm-hmm. that I didn't notice before. Makes me appreciate the soundtrack for this. Exactly. A little more. <laughs> right. Um, getting back to the uh, Batman side of things, um, we've got another sound. We heard the sound for the tragedy, the Bruce Wayne kid, parent murder, whatever. Uh, let's hear what Zimmer and company came up with for when Batman is completely murdery brutal in the track, Do You Bleed? Question mark. Originally, in listening to the soundtrack, I didn't really connect with the sound of Batman immediately. And then on, I don't know, second, third listen through, it was like that dun, 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 that triplet figure just kind of worked its way in there. And it's like, okay, I can see what's going on with what they're trying to do here. It's just cool. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's trying to really convince you that Batman is now murdery. Uh, it, it does a good job if you didn't get that uh, impression from the movie, especially since this is accompanying the Batmobile chase scene. Let's, let's take – I just want to take a half a second to justify Batman being murderous. They said in the movie he's been doing this for 20 years, all right, and that, like, everybody, every friend he had – is either dead or corrupted. So at some point, right, he turned. He went over to the dark side. He killed something or whatever. And now, like, he's just been coasting since. They don't really... It's implied that this takes place after the events of the killing joke? Well, uh, definitely family. Yeah. So, but, like, yeah. See, there's a whole dream so sequence that I wish they would have just torn out and replaced with Batman going over the edge so that we could clarify so people aren't – because I was still sitting in my seat going, huh, he just murdered a person. Are we not going to talk about how that's a new thing? Like 75 it's, years, he is I not – <laughs> I, I kind of picked up on like it – it's, it's a little implied that he murdered the Joker. Mm, but Suicide Squad, so unless that's a prequel, uh, which we don't know. Uh, anyway. Fuck extended universes. I'm done with them. 
<laughs> I, I'm I so picked, done. <laughs> I picked up on it in Alfred's speech when he talks about, you know, men fall from the sky and the fever, the rage, when men turn cruel. That was his kind of being like, oh, hey, you're you're kind of really scary now in that you just brutalize people to death. So. Freaking brands people, too. That was – well, he moved away from that, but still, wow. It's a yeah. good startup. It gets you a real look into the attitude of Batman in the New World Order. <laughs> okay. In a lot of ways, this is a Batman redemption story coming back from that murderiness in his – Martha scene or whatnot when he decides not to kill Superman. However, I wish he wouldn't have blown up the entire warehouse or just completely shot up those vehicles in the last scene to show that a change had happened and ran. Okay, so I was just going to say that like, I feel the, like the studio had to like change the characters in some way to make them different from the comics and different from what's already been done because they're characters that have been done so much. So like with Wonder Woman, since she's never actually been in anything other than her TV show, you could, like, change her up into whatever you wanted, really, or keep her the same. But with uh, Batman and Lex Luthor, their characters have been done so many times. So, like, making a more psychotic and, like, juvenile Lex Luthor I thought was interesting, and making a more murdery, dark Batman I also thought was interesting because it changed from what we've seen time and time again in basically every other form of media that involves these characters. Yes, but we haven't seen them together the way we want to see them. Okay, next song. I don't, don't want to see the same thing that I've already been... I, want, I mean, I agree with Grant. This is the most interesting Batman movie I've ever seen. If anything, it was just refreshing that... Um, he killed someone? No, that they don't try to hide it anymore. Like, oh, I just ran this car off the side of the road. I'm sure they're just fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. Next song. Uh, uh, let's see what I got on the docket, and if we switch it up. Okay, yeah, we did switch it up. Um, this is My World, the music accompanying the surprise death of Superman scene. Very emotional. Hans Zimmer, I love like 95% of what you do. This song, not a fan. Because it doesn't sound like a funeral or anything. It just it sounds like a title crawl, in my opinion. It sounds like, like Batman vs. Superman is about to show up at the beginning of the sequence. It's technically not a funeral. It's when he's flying and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it's supposed to, you know, it's, it's you know this big climax. And then somber. Because he's dead. He, but it's it's sort of like trying to like make his death grandiose and epic, but the movie didn't help it out at all. <laughs> it, it's been known to happen that a lot of Hans Zimmer scores carry the uh, emotional weight of scenes where 
the f- um, actual filmmaking kind of drops the ball. So that one's that one, which, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which means that we've saved the best for last. The, oh, track, the best, the best for last in the track that you're probably all wondering about. Wonder Woman's theme. Is she with you? Question mark. The, the aforementioned joke that doesn't make any sense. Worst <laughs> line in the movie. For those Tom Zimmer drums. It's just complete primal <laughs> war drums that get your heartbeat up to speed. Um, I feel like this track was just given the direction, yeah, you know, just make it as badass as possible. Oh, that sick guitar riff. <laughs> Love it. Can't get enough. So good. If that guitar um, riff was a Culver's flavor, it would be gotta have it. Culver's size. Fucked up the joke. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> also, it's Cold Stone. Oh, God, no! <laughs> Cold Stone I'm is... falling apart at the seams! Cold Stone is the ice cream place that I will never eat at again because they have ridiculous names for anything and I refuse to participate. Okay. <laughs> Batman Superman. Uh, Way to just not be any fun at all, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I will gladly eat almost any other kind of ice cream as long as it doesn't have a stupid name. (laughs) (laughs) Moose tracks. So, Ben and Jerry's, you don't like them either, huh? Uh, Their puns are sufficiently good. Like, Cold Stone's just stupid. Uh, We're we're done on the ice cream topic, please. (laughs) I like ice cream, but I don't like it as much as this track. Oh, I, uh, whatever. Way to get us back on topics. <laughs> back on track. <laughs> back on. But uh, tra- back on moose tracks. Uh, there we go. Derailed again. It's oh. like we're the Amtrak. Oh, oh. <sighs> <Too soon>. <laughs> People <laughs> die in that crash. Oh shit! People did. Fuck. Okay. Uh, sorry to all the families. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Batman versus yeah, badass. Batman versus Superman tra- soundtrack. We didn't even get a chance to talk about some more sounds for Batman, Lex Luthor, music for Doomsday that we didn't sample anything from. It's a good soundtrack. Go seek it out. Listen to the whole thing. It's quite satisfying. And take this as well when you're listening to it that it is probably say probably because I can't know for sure Hans Zimmer's last superhero soundtrack he ever does oh sad day yep okay moving on to the section that nobody wanted to do yay that's me (laughs) science yay because 
they didn't get tremendously creative scientifically. I mean, they got they they sprinkle a little time travel at you. Yeah, a little kryptonite was of course back and ready to play. A uh, little bit of cloning, creating yeah. life, uh, a Frankenstein effect, really. Frankenstein's are old hat. They've been, they've been. Frankenstein's have been around since um. Frankenstein, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> modern Prometheus. Well put, man. well put. The mixture of genetics in there as well to just make it liven it up a bit so that people can almost understand it. Yeah. So instead. Ben, do you have any just like some some stats for us or anything? Uh, well, I was thinking about how poorly this movie was reviewed, and how much I personally disliked it, and how much money it ended up making. And I was wondering if there was any correlation between review, like critical reviews or popular reviews, um, like Rotten Tomato type things, and how much money they end up pulling in. And uh, it doesn't take very long to uh, find some studies that uh, look at these kind of things. And I found one, a pretty good one, that looked at 81 uh, major movie releases uh, in 2012, all grossing between 30 million and 200 million, um, that were released at 2,000 screens or more. So major releases. Um, And there is absolutely no correlation between their critical review aggregate Rotten Tomato type score and how much they pull in at the box office. None whatsoever. Because the the Rotten Tomato review comes out before the movie. So it's the the reason you're not going to the movie is because your friend went and saw it, you were on the fence, and your friend said, don't see it. It had nothing to do with, oh, that that person online said, don't see it. Right. Tell the people next to you. That, that's why this movie didn't, like, it earned a ton of movie, or it earned a ton of money its first weekend, and then 70% less the next weekend, because the word of mouth um, is more important than what critics say. Yeah, it's not solely critics. They're definitely a part of it. Let's not take that out of the fact, the equation. Right. right. They're adding to the word of mouth. But the, 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 the somewhat sickening part is that, like, I f- it's a feeling. There's no stat. But it's a feeling that we're getting closer and closer to people just taking, like, the stat, the quantifiable number of how good a movie is, and just, like, treating that as your basis for if you should go, like, see a movie and experience it for yourself, right? If it's a 29 right. out of 100, well, I'm not going to go see that movie. It's Batman and Superman in it. Well, what's the stat? 29 out of 100. Like you could say everything, but as soon as you say, "Oh, it was a crap movie," um, everybody uh, people will just absorb that opinion if they haven't seen it. And it's it, right. again no hard stat, but it's a feeling. It's like this psychotic feeling. <laughs> right to uh, feed into the uh, that phenomena of psychosis you were talking about. A maybe more accurate representation is a system called the Sigma Score. It takes um, groups of audiences, has them rate the movie, whatnot, and then it publishes the ratings on a A through F scale. Uh, Batman vs. Superman got an average B rating from audiences, which, in the long run, it's that's an okay thing. Um, Deadpool, I think, got an A. Um, 
individual demographics, B minus for men, B for women, A minus for um, people under 18. So that's just another thing to add to the pot. Yeah. I, I'm, critics didn't like this movie because um, it's not like a good script and it's more like, it's like not, all it's these like, really a, yeah. things that like mo- filmmakers focus on and film critics focus on this movie does really poorly. But if like you're just going in an audience and you're like, oh, let's go see Batman and Superman fight. Eh, it's fine. There, there's, yeah, there's a good half of that where you're entertained. And then there's yeah. a good quarter where you're confused. And then a final quarter where you're just like, eh, you know. You've kind of given up. Yeah, I kind of want to go home. Yeah. But half so, of it is still good. You were like, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> so um, you know what is a better predictor of box office success is uh, how much they spend on marketing the movie. Uh-huh. So it, like, kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways because it's like, well, we have to earn so much money or else we're going to lose all our money, so we better throw money into marketing, but then the only reason it brings in as much money as it does is because there's so much marketing for it. It's a strange loop. This um, this movie is the antithesis of that, actually, because it's projected with how much they put into its marketing, it has to make at least, I think it was $380 million in the uh, U.S., which it won't, and over $900 million worldwide, which it probably won't. It's projected now that it will actually be less profitable for Warner Brothers than Man of Steel, despite making more. That's how it rolls in Hollywood, baby. It's a crazy-ass business. Anything else from the science section, Benjeruni? Uh, not really. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to say that over like their lifetimes, um, since Batman 1989 and Super Superman 1978, Batman has far out-earned Superman. But that's not that interesting. It's just more money stuff. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I mean, we can move on. Yeah, he's out-earned him. He's also had like a couple more movies. No, just one or two. Yeah. That's what a couple means, dumb Michael. Jesus. All right. Uh, a couple means exactly two. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I see it as like one to three, like, but probably two. <laughs> mm. That's how I was raised a couple was. Like you're like you're guessing that it's that's, most that's likely wrong. two. That's not that's, right. Uh, go fuck yourselves, guys. Some of us don't live in the logistical world. Oh, but some of us do. Grant, thanks for speaking up. Let's talk fun facts. What have you got for us? Uh, fun things to talk about. Don't really have a whole lot of fun things to talk about. <laughs> Honestly, you didn't give me a heads up on this. So. Here, hey, all right. Here's the thing. If I asked you to be on the show, yeah. all right, I'm expecting people to come up with you know, like five minutes, maybe to ten minutes of material. Uh, well, no, typically I do science stuff, but this movie had no interesting science stuff, as we've already talked about. So Get creative. Think of something new. I gave you a topic, and you only decided to ask me ten minutes before we started recording. <laughs> well, um, I mean, obviously this is not the first time that Batman has killed at all. Um, not even close. So I'm sure you know this already, but in his first ever self-titled comic book, he killed somebody 
with a noose hanging from his bat plane after mowing down several people with a Gatling gun that was on his bat plane. <laughs> what year was this? Like, 43? Uh, whenever his very first Batman issue came out. So, like, after Detective Comics, when he finally got a self-titled issue. Uh, should, I, I, think that's, I think that's 1941. Yeah. But, so there's that one, and then, you know, just several other instances of Batman killing people. So this is by no means the first, not even the first time him using, like, guns or anything, because I'm pretty sure he had guns on his Batwing in this film as well, mowed down some people with that. So. Did he have guns in The Dark Knight? Um, he kind of had those, like, rocket launchers that he used to, like, disable vehicles, but he never, like, shot anybody. He had guns on his uh, bat pod because he shot down that glass door, which was totally unreasonable because he could have just run straight through it and been fine. <laughs> just a waste. He had, the, he had the sticky grenade launcher. Yeah. The tumbler had cannons. Had, oh, he definitely yeah. had some very like, violent weapons in all these movies. He just low-key, he never kills anybody because <laughs> he's Batman. But this time, the yeah, like that Batman, old argument. Bat, Batman's murdering people uh, because he just doesn't give a flark anymore. Um, uh, also, apparently, in most instances of Batman versus Superman, Superman wins pretty much all the time. But I'm sure that was also pretty obvious. Well, we're looking so. at it, it. Let's break that down a little. You know, you've got. A, so many fights. Uh, they've never fought feature film, except now. Uh, they've fought a couple times in animated versions. Uh, most of those end up ambiguous because kids' TV. And then you've got comic books, you know, where it's all where it all begins, right? And and Batman and Superman come at odds at each other almost never because that's considered, among the comic book nerds, a Marvel thing. The superheroes meet each other. They got to fight before they can solve their problems. In DC, that doesn't happen that often. They mostly like look at each other somberly and figure out if they can solve a problem or if they just like hate each other's ethics so much that they just can't work together. Uh, <laughs> a lot of rooftop conversations. A lot of rooftop conversations. That is very true. So there's probably only less than there's probably less than ten in continuity instances where Batman and Superman actually traded blows, and most of the time Superman was in mind control, or Batman was using a ton of help from other heroes. It wasn't a mono a mono battle. Or Batman and, was under mind control. Or Batman was under mind control, uh, and therefore Superman was holding back. Because <laughs> that's just how it rolls, right? And the only real instance of when you can really see them just fighting each other is in Elseworld stories, which are things that are considered non-continuity of the whole DC universe. They fight each other in Superman Red Sun. Uh, the other big one is Injustice, Gods Among Us. Which that storyline is hinted at in this movie, in case you're wondering. So pick up that comic book and uh, 
like you can probably draw your own conclusions of just like is that the direction that are eventually going to go with this franchise series because in that world superman goes crazy and becomes the villain of the universe and people love it <laughs> people love that theme why why is it that the 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 ultimate good guys got to go bad before people's interested in them cuz it's easy to say that an all powerful being is going to be evil and hateful and aggressive rather than good and benevolent mm. so that's what that's what the the like dc fans have been holding in on themselves for the past like 30 years right is that the dc characters are just a bit more benevolent they're not as grounded because their ethics are so high and above everyone else they're what you want to aspire to be uh and marvel is what you are uh in that you're probably going to in the heat of a moment punch someone before you ask them a rational question if they made you angry simply by existing (laughs) because superman makes batman angry simply by existing in this movie and you're just wondering you were all waiting for the moment of when are they going to reach clarification and why and it was a bit of a downer in this film i thought it was good other people thought it was a lot of people thought it was silly (laughs) your mom's name martha my mom's name martha let's be besties (laughs) well i think it was more of just batman had never thought of superman as somebody who had a mom because he's just this god so like Recognizing him as a little bit more human made him realize, okay, maybe he's not all bad. And then the fact that they had the same mom name just kind of like topped onto that. Yeah, I like that idea too because I saw it in the theater as, oh no, I've become Joe Chill. I've become the same person who killed my mom because that's what my dad whispered when he died. And here I am reliving this exact moment in a completely different context, but still, like, now I am a murderer. And does he stop murdering? We need to get more story on Batman's murder history, okay? Grant's interpretation of that scene makes way more sense than what I actually picked up on in the movie. But I think if if the movie were just, like, more well done, that would have been clearer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it would have made it a better film. There's chunks missing, and there's chunks that needed to be missing. <laughs> that is to go almost without saying. But if we're all good there, I want to move on to the final section because we've got. We guess I want to power through this. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're just gonna cycle down the list because going over time, and I gotta be somewhere. <laughs> Batman versus Superman. This movie. There's so much to talk about. There's so many ideas that get brought up in this film. And you can easily expect possibly more episodes that center or that stem from scenes, thoughts, themes brought up in this big movie. Because whether or not you consider it a success, a bomb, you loved it, you hated it, it's kind of now it's it's kind of a cultural staple mark because we've been waiting for it for so long, and we have to now analyze the shit out of it. <laughs> So I'll say that. Ambiguous plug. <laughs> Ooh. Sounds like sounds like my last Wednesday night. All right. Whoa. <laughs> oh, we went there. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's get on to the drinking game rules. All right. Can we just rattle these off? 
All right, let's just go right down the list. I don't know who's in what order here. You know, let's let's go oldest to youngest and just work our way down the line. Someone say a rule. Drink every time someone makes an obligatory there are no civilians around comment in the finale. I'm pretty sure I'm not the next fucking oldest. I don't know how old the youngest, so I don't know how old anyone is. I don't know how old I am. Talked about him on the list. Go, Ben. (laughs) Okay, I don't want to do the next one though. Oh, for fuck's sake. All right. He just really wants to say fucking murder somebody really okay. bad. All right. Next rule. Drink when you realize Perry's speech about it not being 1938. It's probably a dig at people who don't want a modern Superman. Depressing. A little bit feudalistic. Fatal, uh, <laughs> Drink every time your new modern Superman fucking murders somebody. Drink every time Batman fucking murders someone. Drink every time they should have replaced Lex Luthor with the Joker and changed nothing else, and the movie would have made more sense. Oh, so true. So true. Drink every time Lex Luthor is the sanest person in the movie. You won't have to drink that that often. That's going to be no, like you a. Will. He's the only one who knows that like Superman's a problem because he keeps murdering people. So we have to stop him. And I was like, yes, I'm on your side by murdering more people. Whoa. I yeah, mean, what about really? Batman throughout the first, like, 75? He's murdering months? one person. He's murdering Superman. That's his plan. He blew up the fucking Senate. He made Doomsday. Like, he had no contingency plan. there were no civilians around. Oh, oh like, God. he could control oh it. <laughs> Drink when your patience uh, for Jesse Eisenberg runs out. Or Ben. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm wasted by the end of this episode. Uh, drink, drink every time something in this movie happens that's directly out of the Dark Knight Returns. Drink out of frustration when Lois throws the spear in the water, almost drowns retrieving it, then Superman almost drowns retrieving it. Yeah, that whole spear thing. You can just start chugging, because fuck, that was a nuisance. I have to drag him back to where the spear is. No, you don't, Batman. Go get the fucking spear, and then go get him. Why do you gotta lure him to a populated Gotham? Oh, it's unpopulated. The well, spear is what? unpopulated. What the? Fuck? Yeah, it's the docks. Yeah, the... I mean, come on. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, I no one's ar- no one's around the docks at midnight unless you know Daredevil. Everyone's at the docks at night. <laughs> Drink some Granny's peach tea for the Senate hearing scene, and right after that, an Irish car bomb. <laughs> also, don't call them that. No. Drink when finally. Drink when Batman finally gives his my parents are dead speech. Drink and, water and, during unnecessary confusing dream sequences so that you don't get hung over. <laughs> gotta, gotta, you know, that you, you want to be able to function tomorrow morning. So no. every time there's a weird dream sequence, have a glass of water. <laughs> Stay healthy. That's a, Yes, hydrate. Stay hydrated. And, and, and Finish the bottle when some dumbass brings their seven-year-old to talk through this brutally violent Zack Snyder film. Ball sex. Ball sex Snyder. Oh no! This this movie was uh it was pretty all right you know it was for all of its contingical faults or whatever the fuck the right word is. You know what I'm talking about. It was a pretty movie. 
it ran at like 30 frames a second. I could see the frames. Fuck you, Ben. Just stop talking. I could see. Nobody wants to hear you bash this film anymore. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, we we appreciate your side of the story, Ben. Let me say that. But it was like watching Lion King in 3D. <laughs> What's the fucking point? Okay. Just uh, a miserable experience. <laughs> and it murders your childhood a little bit. Just okay, but Ben. Is it better or worse than Dread? At this point in my superhero movie watching career, there are several movies that are worse than Dread, and this is one of them. Oh, okay. Damn. You know what? I will say Damn. I will agree with that. I would rather watch Dread than this movie. As Dread fun is, as this film is, I would rather Dread's watch like, Dread. Dread's like pretty good. I'm realizing now. We've converted him. You need a new pariah of a film. Is it this one? It's going to be this one, I guess. <laughs> if you guys all liked it, and I think it's hot trash. Uh, hey, middle of the ground here. I give it a solid 5 out of 10. Uh, looks like that's going to wrap it up for today, super fans. Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, show us your support. Rate us on iTunes, but do not give us a 29%. Dear God, please, no. Five out of fives only accepted at the door. Five, five out of ten is also okay. That's an average score. Yeah, that's not that. failing. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, TriopCop.com uh, website, up to date. By the time this airs, <laughs> this is our first episode past the spring break, and I promised it would be there. So, so here uh, it is. We're recording during spring break, therefore, <laughs> I'm gonna chew my own ass out if it isn't fucking there. <laughs> oh, first you were uh, plugging, now you're, uh, now you're chewing your own ass. That's uh. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Uh, I already love this episode. I think it's uh, our best one yet. It's, uh, it's pretty uh, good. Oh, oh I'm not done yet. Uh, what the fuck more is there to say you don't know anything? Oh, I, I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, just go check us out on Twitter, at SuperMStudies. Our boy, Twitter Tom, keeps the party rolling there. Continue this miserable, fucking, negative, infused conversation on Twitter with us. Holla at your boy Tom. All right, that's that's. I'm full of energy because I'm falling apart. That'll do it today. I say that a lot. I need a new outro phrase. We're leaving you. I'm taking <laughs> <Thank> the cat. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. I'm your host, Michael Mauer. James Skyler Hutzma. Martha. I'm Ben. Not Martha. And Grant Austin. Let's hope you have a super stellar week. Bye!